Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson. I hope you all had a great weekend. Atlanta's Evening News here, 9 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Well, the left-wing freakout has begun over Stacey Abrams. Alyssa Milano joining a host of other celebrities calling on a boycott of Georgia. Our tax breaks are too good. She's realizing that the Hollywood industry does love money. They love your money. Uh, this is, a again, by the way, this is a good reminder of why our legislature could pass the Religious Freedom Restoration Act because Hollywood executives aren't going to pass on the tax breaks they like them too much. They, they may threaten to pull out. They may even saber rattling by scaling back a little bit for show, but they're not going to. You members of the legislature listening to this, you need to remember this and pass RIFRA as soon as you convene in January. Uh, now that the mushy moderate Republicans of Metro Atlanta will not be with you, you have the votes and you can do it. Uh, do it quickly, get it done, and move on. But nonetheless, uh, so they're calling for a boycott, and they're getting basic facts wrong about the Georgia election. Um, I mean, seriously, basic facts are wrong about the election. Uh, so Ari Berman, Ari Berman, Ari Berman is a, um, he's a election guy, a lawyer. He's writing a book about, uh, give us the ballot, the modern struggle for voting rights. He's a left wing writer at mother Jones. Let me read you, uh, the, uh, tweet he put out 1.5 million purged by Brian Kemp, 53,000 registrations on hold. 4.5 hour lines, 214 polling places closed, Dems falsely accused of cyber crimes, candidate overseeing own election. As Stacey Abrams said, Georgia race was tainted by voter suppression. Now, I, I in the fact-based community, we actually like to pay attention to the facts. Let's go through this. 1.5 million purged by Brian Kemp. Zell Miller, Democratic governor and the Democratic legislature in Georgia passed a law calling for an exact match uh, and that every two years, in odd-numbered years, the Secretary of State's office would have to purge voters who have not been active for seven years following notice that they were going to be purged. All Brian Kemp did was comply with a Democratic law passed in 1997 or 1998 by Zell Miller and the Democrats. That's all he did. Uh, 53,000 registrations on hold. It was actually 46,000 registrations. Over 11,000 of them were generated by Stacey Abrams. 75% of them were on hold because the individuals put the wrong social security number on the form and never bothered to show up. But if they showed up on election day to vote, all they had to do was show ID and they could confirm their identity and vote. 4.5 hour lines. Uh, that was in Gwinnett County in a precinct where they failed to bring power cords. That was a local issue. It wasn't a state issue. The lines are all related to local governments and lack of equipment. And they didn't invest in that equipment because all the machines are being replaced next year. Likewise, 1,500 machines were taken out of commission by a Democratic Party lawsuit urging the end of the voting machines, which is going to happen. 214 polling places closed statewide. Those were in rural areas. Those were done by local boards of election. Brian Kemp had no say about it. And in fact, his office was not even told by the counties that it was happening. By the way, most of those counties are Democrat controlled counties. 
Democrat falsely accused of cyber crimes? Actually, no, it turns out there is an investigation because the individual did do something inappropriate, although I do think the Secretary of State's office handled that badly. Candidate overseeing own election? Uh, no, actually, the Secretary of State's office doesn't oversee the election until after it's over and the votes are being counted, and he resigned before that happened. Prior to that, everything is done by local officials. The only role the Democrat, uh, the Secretary of State has is to oversee uniformity of the ballot and, of course, clean up the voter rolls. But... Let's not let facts stand in the way of a good sob story by the Democrats for losing, and let's not stand in the way of checking out traffic. I mean, the list goes on and on with the grievances we're hearing from the Democrats and also from Stacey Abrams. She was on with Jake Tapper, who asked her about the legitimacy of Brian Kemp as governor of Georgia. Is he the legitimate governor-elect of Georgia? He is the person who won an adequate number of votes but that's to not, become the governor. Of, with, of all, with all due respect, and I respect where you're coming from, and I respect the, the issues that you're raising, you're not answering the question. Do you think it I was... Am, I, no, do, I, I, I not do You're not using the word legitimate. Is he the legitimate governor-elect of Georgia? He is the legal governor of Georgia. And, and here's the thing, Jake. I want to be very clear. Words have meaning. And I've spent my lifetime not only as an attorney but as a writer. And I'm very careful with the words I choose. And yes, when he takes the oath of office, he will be the legal governor of the state of Georgia. He is the legal victor. But what you are looking for me to say is that there was no compromise of our democracy and that there should be some political compromise in the language I use. And that's not right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the tears of unfathomable sadness. Mm, yummy. Yummy, you guys. She just she can't let it go. The Democrats can't let it go. Um, they have bought into a mythology and I think it's it's damaging to democracy what they're doing. They're claiming that Brian Kemp uh, jeopardized their democracy, but they are the ones, in fact, jeopardizing and endangering our democracy by buying a mythology and peddling it as true. Here's Noah Rothman. Uh, he was on uh, Morning Joe this morning. Listen to this. That is where they did well. Places where they did not, mm -hmm. they drove off the ideological cliff. You mentioned the, the suburbs of Pennsylvania out in Bucks County. One of the candidates out there, a guy named Scott Wallace, grandson of former Vice President Henry Wallace, the Apple did not fall far from the tree. He ran a very far left campaign and he lost a key district for the Democrats because I think he went a little too far. Another candidate where we've seen didn't perform especially well, who is a progressive darling, is our, uh, Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. And I'm going to introduce my grievance of the morning here because we have seen now A1 of the Washington Post, A1 of the New York Times discussing the recounts in uh, Florida and the extent to which Republicans went too far rhetorically, suggesting that there had been some theft or even intention of theft involved in these recounts where you have not seen coverage of similar rhetoric is on the Democratic side, mm -hmm. where you've had people like Senator Sherrod Brown, Senator Cory Booker, and even Stacey Abrams herself suggesting that this election was illegitimate because there had been voter suppression. And that is a very serious charge, and we have not seen evidence commensurate with that charge. I'd like to see some serious reflection on the part of Democrats there, because progressivism and paranoia are a deadly combination. Yes. Yeah, there is a poll out that two-thirds of Democrats believe Russia actively changed vote tallies on election day to throw the election for Trump. Not that the Russians were engaged in a social media campaign to lie about the race, but that the Russians actively changed vote totals on voting machines around the country. There is no evidence of that. That is disputed by Jay Johnson, President Obama's uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. That is disputed by Barack Obama. 
uh, the former president of the United States. It has been disputed by the uh, CIA director. It has been disputed by the FBI director. All of these things, all these people have disputed it. And yet the left continues to believe the lie. And now in Georgia, they believe the lie that Stacey Abrams had the race stolen from her. She didn't have the race stolen from her. She didn't get enough votes. What's so interesting to me now is you've got Democrats out there claiming that she fell 17,500 some odd votes short. She didn't. She fell over 54,000 votes short. They're confusing the runoff from winning outright. Uh, and people are believing again the lie. This is not healthy. Noah's right. It's not healthy. And yet you've got Democrats in the state believing it. All of the problems they cite on Election Day were local county issues, many of them run by Democrats, most of them run by Democrats, and the so-called purging of voter rolls. That's a law the Democrats in Georgia passed in the 90s. The Kemp uh, Secretary of State's office complied with that law every year. The only reason there was a spike in the number in 2017 is that there was a lawsuit in 2015 and a court order prohibiting the Secretary of State from running the, the purging uh, command on the computer in 2015. Georgia law prohibits him from doing it in election, even numbered election years. So the, only, the next time it could be done was in 2017 after they had won the lawsuit, by the way, in a federal court saying that it was perfectly legal to do that. And again, it was a Democrat law. Eric Erickson and Atlanta's Evening News. Who is that guy? I love him. The information you need and the truth you demand every night on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Atlanta's Evening News is sponsored by Comcast Business. If you recall the controversy last year, uh, Michelle Wolf, the, the well, they say she's a comedian, but I've never found her funny. She's the one who even Netflix, which apparently will give a show to anybody except me, gave her a show. And they canceled it because it wasn't funny. It was their experiment with doing a daily show, apparently. She's the one who organized a march for abortion. Uh, apparently decided to do just outlandishness uh, as comedy. And they, that's part of my problem with Hollywood comedy these days is they think that being outlandish is to be funny and it's not necessarily the same thing, but she's the one who did the white house correspondence dinner was deeply insulting of Sarah Sanders who sat there and took it. She was deeply insulting. It wasn't even funny. She was just mean. It was mean spirited. So the white house correspondence association has announced they're, they're aborting the comedian comedian. I can't even talk the comedy routine. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, I was trying to get the, the aborting joke in because of Michelle Wolf. I'm sorry if that offends you. You know, I once did a caller abortion on the radio where we had a really bad liberal caller and we had a uh, sound effect of a vacuum cleaner and a baby screaming. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the number of people who called it out. Rush Limbaugh used to do it. I thought, you know what? In honor of Rush, it was some anniversary of his show that was like the 20th anniversary. I decided I'm going to do it. And oh my gosh, the calls from people. It was horrendous. Wow. So we could never do that again, but nonetheless. So uh, they're going to bring in Ron Chernow, who wrote the the Hamilton biography. It's actually a really good book. I haven't seen the play. Uh, and he's also now written a great book on 
uh, Ulysses S. Grant, a fantastic writer. I'm sure he will have something more interesting, probably more humorous to say than any of the comedians they've had in the last few years. I just don't understand why we need to bother uh, with the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Not that I'm a member of it. I actually, when I was at CNN, I got offered to go a couple of times, and I just refused to go. I didn't want to go to the White House Correspondents' Association. I don't like crowds to begin with, and definitely don't like those sorts of crowds, and I don't want to have to wear a tux. So there you have it. When we come back, there's a shakeup underway at the White House. Three to five cabinet members and the chief of staff, and there may be a Georgia replacement for the chief of staff at the White House. I will tell you what I know and what I don't know, because I know what I don't know in this case, for the most part. I'll fill you in on all of it when we come back right here on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Welcome back. 39 after the hour. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. The president intends a White House shakeup, and it could come at any moment. In fact, Jamie Dupree and I, we were texting on Friday back and forth that everyone was expecting it to happen on Friday. And then over the weekend, we were expecting it to happen. The president gave an interview with Chris Wallace uh, over the weekend. He also talked to the Associated Press and to others about a potential shakeup. And, well, he said this over the weekend about General Kelly. Back in July, you said that Chief of Staff John Kelly will be here through 2020. Well, can well, you still say we, that? Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, look, we get along well. There are certain things I love what he does, and there are certain things that I don't like uh, that he does that aren't his strength. It's not that he doesn't do, you know, he works so hard. He's doing an excellent job in many ways. There are a couple of things where it's just not his strength. It's not his fault. It's not his strength. Such uh, as? But I haven't even thought about John in terms of this. But John at some point is going to want to move on. John will move on. So 2020 is no longer written in stone. It could happen. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be. But let's see what happens. Uh, I have not. Look, I have three or four or five positions that I'm thinking about of that. Maybe it's going to end up being two, maybe, but I want to, I need flexibility. Need flexibility. So here's what I'm hearing. The president for certain wants to get rid of Kristen Nielsen, who is the secretary of Homeland Security. He also wants to get rid of Wilbur Ross, who is the secretary of commerce. I am told by people inside the White House and familiar with the president's thinking, he also wants to get rid of Ben Carson. Uh, you know, the, there was the the stories about Ben Carson's purchases at uh, HHS, and the president at this point thinks that he doesn't necessarily need to keep um, need to keep Ben Carson around for the long haul. So that would be three. Who are the others? I'm not 100% sure, other than General Mattis. Mattis doesn't want to stay, and I'm not sure the president wants to keep him. Like Wilbur Ross, multiple people in the Pentagon and in the White House say that General Mattis uh, largely has lost the confidence of the president and does not um, get listened to very much inside the White House. There have been a uh, series of turf battles as well. So that would be four. Who the fifth would be, I have no idea. 
Um, the president likes Rick Perry. He likes Sonny Perdue. He likes Mike Pompeo. He likes uh, Steve Mnuchin. And those are the big ones. And, and, of course, there's the attorney general issue as well. Whitaker won't stay because he doesn't have the votes. Even Lindsey Graham has come out on Whitaker and said he is perhaps not the best guy for the job. There is still the constitutional issue. Some Democratic senators have filed a lawsuit today uh, asking the federal courts to toss Whitaker out of out of his job. And I actually think that uh, they have a solid case to make. Uh, and, I, and let me explain that one to you uh, after we go check traffic. So uh, Democrats are filing suits. Senate Democrats are over Matt Whitaker as the attorney general, um, acting attorney general. And the reason is because Matt Whitaker has not been through a Senate confirmation process uh, during this presidential administration for a seat. Uh, he was an un- he was an appointed position that was not confirmed by the Senate. And the Constitution says that principal officers of the United States must be confirmed by the Senate. The Federal Reform Vacancies Act, or Federal Vacancies Reform Act, whichever, from the 1990s allows the president to replace people Uh, within the executive branch, including people who've had Senate confirmation with other people. Um, And Clarence Thomas in the National Labor Relations Board case from 2015 wrote a concurring opinion. It's not binding on the court, but he all but suggested there are five votes on the court to say that the Federal Vacancy Reform Act of 1998 doesn't apply to cabinet positions. And he himself would take that position because the plain language of the Constitution requires that principal officers have gone through a confirmation process. Now, the president argues that Whitaker did go through a confirmation process back during the Bush administration, but that would be dubious because while the U.S. attorney position, he was U.S. attorney in Iowa, is a position within the Justice Department, It is not at that level in the organization chart of being within the uh, decision-making capacities of senior Justice Department levels. And even the Federal um, Vacancy Reform Act wouldn't allow something like that. So I I think they've actually got a very good argument on the plain language of the Constitution. And the Supreme Court has held that the Attorney General is a principal officer of the United States. So that would mean uh, you can have the Solicitor General or the Deputy Attorney General replace the Attorney General because they have both been through, in this presidential administration, a Senate confirmation. I just don't think Whitaker constitutionally can do it. By the way, I don't have a problem with Whitaker serving as Acting Attorney General if he had been Senate confirmed. I, I don't care. The president has the right to put who he's there. And I, I do not buy into this this highfalutin notion that the attorney general serves the law, not the president. No, he is a cabinet secretary. And if Congress doesn't like that, they can amend the Constitution and create a fourth branch of government called the attorney general. But that's neither here nor there right now. Atlanta's news, weather and traffic, plus WSB's Eric Erickson. Atlanta's evening news, sponsored by Comcast Business. This is WSB. There is a story in Politico by Alex Thompson, the headline, 2020 Democrats are dramatically changing the way they talk about race. They're shrugging off fears of driving more white voters to Donald Trump. This comes on the hill of of Kristen Powers, Kirsten Powers on CNN, saying that white women who voted for Trump were supporting racism, even if they didn't think they were, they were racist. 
I don't know that this is helpful. You know, right now, let, let me play you this clip real quick. This is uh, Robert Costa from The Washington Post talking about the Democrats in 2020. You're going to have a higher likely Demo Democratic turnout in a presidential election year. So the president's base will remain probably highly energized due to President Trump. But Democrats are feeling better about their opportunities in 2020 because of the higher turnout they expect. Yeah, um, I... I don't know that, you know, we went through this in 2010. We were super confident. Republican turnout was high in 2010. Republicans were mobilized. We were going to beat Obama in 2012. And how did that go for Mitt Romney? It, it, it didn't. Um, I don't know that it is a wise thing for Republicans or for Democrats to look on 2018 turnout and say, oh, yeah, that they got it. It's in the bag. Uh, they're going to have a nasty, bloody primary fight. And the thing that's crazy is they're going to double down on identity politics, intersectionalism, uh, sexual politics, gender politics, gender identity, uh, all of those things, inclusivity focused, um, intersectionality. Uh, the LGBTQ rights, and, and on and on and on it goes, they're going to be fighting over uh, diversity issues within the Democratic primary. Of course, then you got Beto O'Rourke, who's really Bob, who is said he wasn't going to run, and now suddenly he's thinking about running, and everybody's doing these just overwrought pieces about, oh, Beto may run. When you get into that primary, national Democrats start attacking him for becoming a member of Congress by beating a highly regarded Hispanic member of Congress and then calling himself Beto to try to blend in. I don't know that that's going to go over so well. What about the Republicans, though? I want you to know I've got a piece up today. I want to discuss it with you um, about 2020 and a third party. And I have long been against third parties and a 2020 challenge to the president. And I'm starting to think the data from the midterms suggest it is right for both. And I'm not endorsing it. I want to be clear. I'm not endorsing it. Um, but we might as well discuss it because there are a lot of people discussing challenges. What would it look like for someone to challenge the president? I don't think they could win. They may hand it to the Democrats, though, and that would be concerning. But let's explore it when we come back. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here, 9 after the hour. The phone number 404 872 WSB Talk. I'm here tomorrow, um, and I'm probably, I'm not going to take your phone call, so just ignore the phone number. Uh, I will take your phone call. Maybe we'll have a free-for-all tomorrow night, and then I'm off the rest of the week. I've got family coming in, um, but I'll be here uh, live tomorrow night from 5 to 7. Uh, maybe we'll even take your recipe tips, because I don't know that Charlie's going to be around tomorrow night, so we could do that. I, I, I want to deviate before we get into... Um, 2020 and third party. I, I want to read you something. It's it's not long. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. 
The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what we did, what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. It only took me about a minute and a half to read that to you. It was not widely heralded as a notable speech on the day Lincoln gave it. Some in attendance said it was not very memorable. And yet it has become one of the most famous speeches in the Western canon of oration. And it was only about a minute and a half. Can you remember anything President Trump said in this past year's State of the Union or the year before? Can you remember anything Barack Obama said or George Bush said? With George Bush, you have some notable moments, the the axis of evil and whatnot, those lines after 9-11. But by and large, politicians these days spend so much time and so many words saying absolutely nothing. And here is Lincoln at the dedication of the graves at Gettysburg, 155 years ago today. And we today still talk about his speech from 155 years ago that does not get otherwise talked about, or other speeches in comparison don't get talked about. I just, I think that is very notable um, that that speech lasts and just how full of themselves so many current politicians are. Uh, and we should, we should put that in perspective. This, I hope, puts it in perspective. A minute and a half address that we still talk about 155 years ago, uh, years later, and we can't even remember what President Trump said this weekend. Just fascinating. Let's go check traffic. Okay, now, uh, now let me get into the issue of the election in 2020 on the Republican side. I pinned a piece today about 2020 and whether or not there might be some traction for a third party or a challenge to the president. And I have previously said, both at the resurgent and here on this program, that this is Donald Trump's party, at least for now. And I don't think it's worth anyone's time or emotional investment trying to run against him a primary campaign in 2020. And I largely still agree with that, but I increasingly also think it's going to happen anyway. I've also long been opposed to the idea of a third party. It's so costly to start one. And you wind up with these problems like Ross Perot, who the reform party after what was 1992 and then in 96, they tried a second bid. It was a cult of personality party. It was built around him. When he left and got out of it, the whole thing collapsed. And I would suspect that would happen again if there was a third party movement. But I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago about John C. Fremont. Now, for those of you who don't know who John C. Fremont was, he was actually the first Republican candidate for president. Abraham Lincoln was not. 
And Lincoln would not have happened but for John C. Fremont running in 1856. Uh, Fremont did not get traction, but then Lincoln in 1860 did get traction and won. And he wouldn't have but for Fremont running. And I'm looking at the midterm exit polling data, and here's what I see. Republicans have lost suburban voters. There is a segment of the population that is considered a general-only voter. That is, they only show up in general elections. They do not consider themselves partisans. They consider themselves, by and large, above the partisan fray. And they're the ones who win elections. They're the ones you have to have to woo. And they're the ones who have been reliably Republican voters, suburban, general-only voters, particularly, I mean, just look here in Georgia, but not just Georgia, elsewhere as well. They're fairly reliably Republican. Suburban voters in Florida, Georgia, Virginia, uh, although less so in Virginia now in the in the Northern Virginia area, um, even in in parts of New York and Illinois, they tend to be Republican, and they decisively flip to the Democrats this time, and they did not just suddenly become socialist. They just don't like President Trump. They don't like the direction of the Republican Party. They are free trade, by and large. They don't like tariffs. They believe in uh, good politicians, not just making America great again, but but making America good again, so to speak. Um, they, they don't like the president's character, and they shape elections, and Republicans lost them this time. But Republicans actually made good gains with Hispanic and black voters. This has not gone commented largely because black voters still um, by 85 to 90 percent vote Democrat. But there has been a noticeable three to four point shift, particularly among black men towards the Republicans. Uh, Rick Scott in Florida won 45 percent of the Hispanic vote, excluding the Cuban community. Excuse me. There's some liberal right now yelling, but they're all Cuban. No, no, no. Exclude Cubans. The Rick Scott won 45 percent of the Hispanic vote in Florida. Yeah, you got an overwhelming number of Cubans who tend to vote Republican because of Ronald Reagan still, uh, but he got a, a non-Cuban Hispanic vote. He won 45 percent. Brian Kemp won 38 percent in Georgia. I'm looking at all of this, and it seems to me that without President Trump on the ballot, Republicans were able to persuade a good number of minority voters on cultural issues to vote for the GOP. But suburban voters, so spun up about Donald Trump, rejected the GOP. And it does make me wonder if there is going to be a viable third-party challenge. Now, I don't think that a third party could win against Donald Trump in 2020. It just makes me realize that uh, Donald Trump is still fighting for control of the Republican Party. And he has the majority of it. Now, let, let no one be be disabused here. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that Donald Trump's party is not the Republican Party. The Republican Party is not Trump's party. It is. But he only has he has a majority of it. But he, there's a significant minority that wants something else. And it looks like they're prepared to fight for it. And so I do wonder if we're going to see something in 2020. Uh, Bob Corker seems to be someone who has suggested he's looking at it. Jeff Flake is definitely campaigning for it. John Kasich never stopped running for president. What an obnoxious... I would rather Flake and Corker than, than Kasich. I mean, no Kasich, no Kasich, boo Kasich. Um, or, or what about a Ben Sass? And I wonder if someone were to get enough traction through doing that to spin off a third party. For the first time, I'm looking at data and I'm seeing this. 
there is a significant minority of Republicans that no longer like the Republican Party, and they're looking for something else. And there is a significant portion of the Democratic Party, black and Hispanic voters of the Democratic Party, who feel that the rich, white, secular, atheist progressives of the Democratic Party are leaving them behind. And they're all looking for a new home, and I'm wondering if someone could give them that home. And again, I'm not endorsing it, but we should we should understand what's happening here. Uh, there's a real movement. Now, there's room for the president to capture all of those people on his side if he'll do it. I'm just not sure he's willing to do what it takes to actually woo all of them to his side. Eric Erickson. You may not always agree with him, but you know he's not going to spin you every day. 5 till 7, News 95.5 and AM 750, WSB. Terrible clock management last segment, so we'll make it short here. Let me just say that people are still talking about the caravan. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'm wondering if there's an election going on. Because the media told us all fairly specifically that the um, that the Republicans stopped talking about the caravan after the election was over, which, by the way, wasn't true. Uh, Laura Ingram was talking about the caravan the night after the election. And now there are news stories coming over that uh, parts of the caravan have arrived and are trying to climb walls to get into this country. The mayor of Tijuana, not exactly a, a right-wing waspy Republican, is uh, calling the caravan an invasion. <gasps> the poor man is going to be tarred, feathered, and, and abused as a racist by the media. You know who doesn't want to talk about the caravan is the media doesn't want to talk about the caravan, but the caravan is arriving on our border and no, it doesn't have embedded ISIS members. You know, what's so interesting here is there's there's polling that showed a significant minority, but a minority of Republicans think that ISIS is embedded in the caravan and that 17 percent of uh, Republicans say it's probably not true. Um, and the media is focusing on those poll numbers. They're completely ignoring the fact that two thirds of Democrats believe that Russia changed vote totals in voting machines to get Donald Trump elected. The Republicans, they believe fake news. Never mind the Democrats who believe fake news. I, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, I just got a text message while I'm sitting here as someone blowing up the caravan. Yes, I agree with, with my friend who is texting Rodney that this is a, a it's a story that I think the media needs to cover. And I think it's something Republicans need to keep covering. And I think it's another reason why we need to build a wall. And frankly, I think the president should call Congress back while the Republicans still control the House of Representatives and tell them to put up or shut up and build the freaking wall. Uh, it is time for us to build the wall uh, coast to coast along the border with Mexico. You've got all these Republicans who told him they would do it after the election. Well, it's after the election. It's time for them to do it. And the fact that they're not doing it is proof yet again they're lying. And that's one reason some Republicans didn't bother to show up for the Republicans because they've been lying the whole time and people know it. So the White House has fully restored Jim Acosta's White House access. That was much ado about nothing. Uh, they had actually threatened him and said he was, they were going to take it all away. Uh, once the injunction was lifted, CNN petitioned for an emergency hearing of the White House. Said, oh, no, psych, just kidding. Fully restored it. Oh, well. Um, believe it or not, the culture war continues, and I have saved this for the end. 
because there are people who I realize get all squeamish with this stuff, but it is something that has to be confronted and we might as well confront it. Um, there is a story, two stories actually in the daily mail, uh, one of which is a column in 20 years. We'll look back on the rush to change our children's sex as one of the darkest chapters in medicine says psychotherapist, Bob Withers. Uh, he's a British psychotherapist who is deeply concerned about the rush to do this. And there is a YouTube star, Miles McKenna, who has gained traction. Miles McKenna is a teenager who has had a gender uh, transition surgery, has been documenting it on social media, and just treats it as something uh, normal when it's clearly not normal. This comes on the heels of a story out of Great Britain that 17 autistic kids in one school are being given puberty-blocking drugs to halt physical development so that they can begin transitioning. It is no coincidence it is 17 autistic kids. Um, highly, uh, highly persuadable in, uh, in conformity issues within their school, according to the doctors who are raising red flags about it. And yet there are people who think this is something that's normal. And we're just going to have to be more and more vigilant and mindful of this stuff. Uh, in California, they're, they're treating it as normal. I was talking to somebody the other day who moved to California and first day in school, his kid was had to learn about the gender unicorn. It's just not right. There are people with deep emotional issues and we should not treat it as healthy or normal what's happening. Um, these are people with deep psychological issues. You cannot be, you cannot change yourself. And by the way, if it is a social construct, changing your body for a social construct is, is insanity. If gender is a social construct, you don't change your body for it. Uh, nonetheless, there's this push to do this and a normalization effort underway in the media. Meanwhile, in Australia, bridal magazine is being shut down because it refused to run ads uh, for same-sex couples. I, it, this stuff is not going away. And there are a lot of people who just want to be left alone. But, you know, this is one of the issues with the suburban voters, too. The suburban voters who want everybody to be nice to each other. They just want, this is just so, why do people do this? Just just leave each other. Well, what they're ignoring is that there is a class of people out there called progressive activists who will not leave other people alone. It's not like the Christian butcher, baker, and candlestick maker are out there holding up signs with the Westboro Baptist Church condemning gay people using slurs. It's just they want to be left alone. They, they want to practice their faith in their business, and their faith says they can't do this, and progressive activists are targeting them. Yes, the guy in Colorado, Jack Phillips, he was specifically targeted by gay rights activists. Uh, that never came out in the story, but if you read the court record, it's true. He was targeted by gay rights activists. And all you suburban voters who just, you want everybody to be nice and left leave everybody alone and just treat each other, you, you put up or shut up at this point. Pay attention to what's happening. If you're really saying just leave everybody alone, be nice and what have you, you're picking a side 
And that is the side that's forcing you to care. You will be made to care one way or the other. And a lot of people in the suburbs who have decided they don't like the GOP right now on culture issues, not on Trump, these people are going to be made to care as well. And they will probably be just fine carrying on one side as long as people leave them alone, which is pathetic. Now, maybe not as pathetic as the line of traffic. We better go check it. And it's just, it's amazing to me how so much of this stuff can be whipped into a frenzy. Um, so there's a story out about Chipotle fired an employee. And the story was that the employee refused to serve a black man. And now there's social media, social justice warrior outrage that Chipotle may hire back the employee who refused to serve the black man. Of course, that story is deeply misleading. You know why the employee wouldn't serve the black man? Because on multiple occasions in the past, he refused to pay. They gave him food and he refused to pay. So the employee wouldn't serve him until he paid. And he went out and found the social justice warriors and cost the person their job. And now the media is running with these stories. It's kind of like this all goes full circle to the very first hour. And, and all of the f- bad media stories about Georgia and so much of what they said about Georgia simply wasn't true. And they never cared. They, they flat out did not care. And they got all of it wrong in the process. And people on the left are okay believing the mythology. It makes them sleep well at night. Atlanta's Evening News with Eric Erickson. Breaking local news. Kirk Mellish's accurate and dependable five-day forecast. And triple team traffic every six minutes. WSB. Hey, I forgot. Um, I want to thank all of you who reached out to Brad Raffensperger. I am going to have him on the radio program next week. We will get it lined up. I do not have it scheduled yet. We're going to do it next week. Uh, I'm here today and tomorrow, and then I'm off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for Thanksgiving. And I know a lot of people are getting out of town. I wanted to make sure he had maximum audience exposure, so we will do it next week. The Democrats, of course, are making this a really big issue. They're going to turn this into a really big race. And you got Stacey Abrams filing her lawsuit. Here's another soundbite from her with Jake Tapper. My accusations are based entirely on evidence. We had four different federal judges in the course of a week say that what we witnessed was wrong and forced better behavior. And what I'm simply asking for is another court to force even stronger behaviors, legal reforms that will guarantee that no one has to question the legitimacy of our elections. Dan Gassaway is a Republican who lost a Republican primary because they failed to adequately provide ballots that were accurate. That was under Brian Kemp's watch. And so this is not something that simply affected Democrats. This is not partisan. The head of the Tea Party in Georgia, Debbie Dooley, pointed out the gross mismanagement of how we administer absentee ballots. So I agree with the Tea Party. I agree with Republicans. We have to do better in Georgia. I'm simply using this moment to lift up this call to arms. But I'm going to do so in a court of law, not in the court of public opinion. Okay, whatever. Um, You know what we would have to do to improve a lot of these things? Centralize election power in the Secretary of State. I mean, that would actually be it. The absentee balloting issue and whatnot, these are all local election issues. These are all local government issues. These are all county-level issues. And we rely on the counties in Georgia because as the metro Atlanta northern suburb areas trended more Republican, Cherokee County, Forsyth County, and for so long Cobb and Gwinnett County, Democrats in the state legislature decentralized the election process to the county level 
And so that the they were worried about what would happen if the Republicans were somehow able to take over state government, particularly the Secretary of State's office. They wanted to make sure that a Republican Secretary of State couldn't engage in hanky-panky, so they decentralized. And now what do you have? You've got Democrats saying that, oh, it's the Republican Secretary of State. No, actually it's local counties. And the cure for it is to centralize control in the Secretary of State's office, which is something I think Democrats are appalled at. And in fact, a lot of Democrats behind the scenes are worried that Abrams' lawsuit could do that. And they think Raffensperger could beat John Barrow and keep the Republicans in charge with even more power. Points to ponder tomorrow. I want to take most. I want to spend a lot of time tomorrow on your phone calls, and who knows, the White House purges may happen overnight, so we'll have to talk about that. But, 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 uh, your phone calls tomorrow. I'll even take your recipe phone calls tomorrow. Yes, and don't forget, you can text the word recipe to three four five three four five to sign up for my weekly email on Wednesday. I'm sending out the gumbo and pound cake recipe. See y'all tomorrow.